say some a few words and that'll be that i love our free music <laughs> no <laughs> no copyright on the uh i don't even know what the hell that is on the button i press <laughs> all right everybody welcome to the mid major madness podcast my name is russ steinberg i'm joined by my co-editors chris shooty and greg mitchell this is our first podcast where we're all together after the start of the college basketball season. We've had uh, five days now worth of action. A lot has gone on as pretty much every team has gotten their season started. A lot of teams have even played two or three games at this point. Um, I think as we've come to expect from these early weeks of college basketball, at least in the time that we've been doing this, it usually means that there are a few teams who we had high expectations for that have underperformed and a few teams that have taken us by surprise. So I think we we're going to start there. Um, Greg, you had a couple of teams in mind, and I think they're the uh, ones that are probably on the top of everyone's head here. Um, so take us through your surprise team so far, both in a good and bad way. I think Northeastern is my surprise team in a positive way. Um, I mean, they came out of the gates um, and they won a couple Boston area showdowns, first against Boston University, which, um, as we were just discussing before the pod, was a uh, middle-of-the-pack kind of a projected Patriot League team. So it's not, you know, that's not a, a ground-shaking win. But then they go at home and beat Harvard, um, which, you know, I know we're going to talk about Harvard later, but that's a team we all thought very highly of. Um, you know, in the process, uh, it's, it's uh, something we wrote about um, late Friday night. Jordan uh, Roland um, is, is averaging, I believe, something like 42 points per game over those two games. Um, he's been fantastic. And he's uh, last year was essentially just a three point shooter and a very good one. And he made 13 all CIA. But with uh, Vasa Pasuka gone, and I probably just said his name completely wrong. So if someone can pipe in and correct that for me. Um, that'd be great, but he's kind of the, he's kind of the guy now and he's embraced that role. It seems over the first few games. Um, and he's gotten the, to the uh, free throw line a lot, which was not something in his game last year. So, um, you know, I think that's a program that we kind of always expect things of. I don't, you know, I know they were, I think they were projected. I looked it up here fourth in the CAA. So not, not a favorite. Um, but, but they certainly, they seem like a force, and I think Roland right now is you know the hyper early attract to your a player of the year in that conference. Yeah, I mean it's only been two games, but he had I guess at least close to it two forty pointers. Um, and you know, anytime you knock off a team like Harvard, you're going to make uh, you're going to make some headlines. And I think the uh, the CAA as a whole is a league that we didn't really know what to do with. Um before the season started just because the league had lost by far its two best players in Vasa Puchicha and uh, Justin Wright Foreman. See, that's a, that was a confident pronunciation right there. Yeah. It was confident. It wasn't accurate. I don't think. Well, it might've been, I don't remember. I I had it down like last March. I, I was able to say it and I had it perfectly. I I think that's right. I don't remember. Um, But anyway, the the league had lost its two best players. We weren't really sure who was going to be the team to beat. Uh, We figured, you know, Hofstra would be good again. Northeastern would be good. Charleston would be up there. Uh, People really like Delaware, and that's actually 
now looking like a uh, a good call. Uh, but but anyway, Northeastern, we, we weren't sure what to expect now without Vasa. And to see Roland come out the way that he has, it, it's something that I don't even think Northeast, Northeastern fans could have expected, despite, you know, watching him play to an all-league level last year. Um, and then the other team you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, VCU, I would say, is a team that I'm, I guess, somewhat surprised that um, you know, uh, they beat St. Francis in their first game pretty handily and then had a little bit of a rough time against North Texas, had to get a few stops late. Um, but that's one of these teams that I, while that game was somewhat underwhelming at home, um, I wouldn't be, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I think they're still fine. Um in that one, Isaac Van had gotten injured. I was trying to look up to see if anything else had come out on him, and it doesn't look like it has. So I would assume he's probably okay, but he's a guy who's had injury problems in the past and is such an important part of that team that that would kind of be the first, um, you know, thing we want to focus on. But assuming he's fine, you know, I think I think they're fine. I know you had written the preview on them, Russ, and had made the point that this may be the most, the most talented of all the VCU teams, which is – I, I think absolutely makes sense. And with that, I think maybe comes a little bit of a pressure um, because obviously expectations are always high there, but it seems they're a little bit higher this year. So um, with this huge game, you know, um, against LSU on the horizon here, I can understand how the North Texas game was a little bit of a trap and they had uh, Mikel Sims hit a few threes late, which is kind of a role player that, you know, stepped up in the moment. And that, that just has the feel of a team that's going to be okay. Yeah, um, I I don't think the the pressure or the expectations is something really to worry about with this team. Um, I think a lot has been made at this point of exactly what it is they're bringing back. Their six leading scorers from last year. Uh, it's an experienced group. It's a group that's played together for a few years now. Marcus Evans, even though this is only his second season at VCU, he followed Mike Rhodes from rice so it's 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 a group that's experienced and a group that's been good in the past and they know what they have to do and i think you hit the nail on the head that the north texas game probably just a trap knowing what's to come after this and north texas probably not not a terrible team as it is so it isn't too much of a shock that they almost got knocked off would have really been disappointing of course especially considering throughout the entire preseason we were talking about how now we have like a resurgent a10 and vcu is going to be really good and davidson's going to be really good and dayton and uri and if vcu had gotten knocked off at home that would have been tough for us to uh tough for us to deal with because you know i know davidson and uri lost but at least they lost to you know power five teams yeah definitely and it's this probably is insane to start talking about already but they've got like four or five seat potential this year right so and I understand even if they had lost that game, it really wouldn't have changed anything. But when you when you're trying to reach that lofty standard, even a game like that, you know, when you're already playing from behind, because as we know, the majors do not get the benefit of the doubt, um, and maybe they're a little bit of an exception because of the brand name. But um, again, there's the potential. Had they lost that game, it it's very possible that there uh, there uh, could have been some slight uh, ramifications. And yeah, I mean, if you well. if you play in the A10 and you lose a home game to North Texas. Like right away, that knocks you down minimum one, maybe two seed lines. So, you know, I, I think a four seed may be a little bit high f- uh, for a projection for them, but they could certainly be a solid five or six seed. And the problem, as you mentioned, is that they have almost no margin for error. Uh, they have a game day after Thanksgiving against Purdue, and they have LSU coming up on Wednesday. 
I think if they're going to reach that level in terms of, you know, NCAA tournament placement, they probably have to win both of those games. And that's not fair at all and not not easy to do. And then they have to navigate an Atlantic 10 that has, you know, with Day- Dayton Davidson URI, the teams that could all be tournament teams, and they're going to be really good. So lost to them, it's not the end of the world. But you also have Richmond, who's a Ken Palm top 100 team. You have St. Bonaventure, who I think is going to be better. Um, we'll, I've, we'll probably talk about them at some point. They got off just a disastrous start. Uh, George Mason, who's solid. St. Louis, solid. So like there are a ton of trap games in the A-10 as well. And you have to imagine that they're going to trip up once or twice just because you're playing 18 conference games. I like that we're already just cranking up the mid-major disrespect propaganda machine. I mean, you have to, right? The the thing is, like, this is the time of year when the mid-majors have to make their move. Like, you can't ease into the season at all. You're playing the top teams, the best teams that you're going to play all year right now. So this is unfortunately where it kind of makes or breaks it for you. No, and I, I made a note of that in that uh, the column I wrote, just how the A-10 was kind of underwhelming in terms of just the opportunities that the conference had, um, you know, to open the season. You mentioned Rhode Island. They had a chance against Maryland, albeit a very good Maryland team. Nobody's going to expect them to go in and and win that game. But when you have, you know, these quad one and quad two opportunities early in the season, you'd, you'd like to see the conference as a whole, just at least be able to get something on the board rather than getting blanked in the first week. Yeah. And I think Davidson's game against Auburn was probably their best right. chance at that. Um, unfortunately, Kellen Grady and John Axel Goodmanson just were non-factors in that game. The two of them combined for 13 points and still, you know, Davidson hung tough in that game, which I think says a lot about them. Uh, but Auburn just defended the hell out of him. I don't I mean, know Auburn's if you watched just, that game. They're such a tough team to play just because they're so athletic and so physical. Yeah, uh, it, I, I think physical is the, the perfect way to describe it. I mean, they bullied Davidson for a good chunk of that game. Uh, Goodmanson never got into it. He picked up two fouls early on and, you know, he sat the bulk of that first half. Grady scored six points total. Um, I, I will say it, Carter Collins and Luke Frampton, 18 points each, two guys who it was nice to see step up in the way that they did. Um, Frampton, just a sophomore, had a really good freshman season a uh, little inconsistent, scored 18 points, hit five threes. And then Collins coming off the bench, he played 30 minutes, had 18, uh, five of 10 from the field, four steals. So they, there were certainly bright spots in that game for Davidson. Um, and I, I don't think you should uh, panic about them quite yet. But, uh, you know, it was it was a disappointing result on a neutral court, a chance to beat a team that I honestly thought they were better than. And I guess, you know, at least on Friday, I was wrong. Well, that's why that's why you play the games. Yeah. Davidson, by the way, was one of the teams that I had wanted to talk about, so we could check that off the list. Good segue. That you made there was nice and natural. Yeah. Well, 
you know, it, it just the VCU talk kind of led into it. And um, th- there is. Oh, sorry. Uh, th- there is another team that I just want to mention. Uh, didn't, you know, beat anybody great uh, in the first week, but they did come up with two solid wins, one at home, one on the road. Uh, Northern Iowa off to a 2-0 and start. Uh, they have cracked the Ken Palm Top 100, opened the season a 58-53 win over Old Dominion. Whatever, ODU is not great. Then went to Northern Illinois and won 64-54. Uh, they won two very low-possession, low-scoring, slow-tempo games. They did it by taking care of the ball. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well in either one, uh, but they played that smart Ben Jacobson basketball, came away with the win. I think maybe the reason we weren't really talking about them. I mean, first of all, everyone just saying Missouri state's a team in the Valley and they're going to be great. Uh, Northern Iowa is a really young team, but they've gotten some pretty good contributions from their younger players. Uh, just one, sorry, two seniors who really get minutes and then a lot of freshmen, sophomores and juniors kind of in there. So the guys who have been playing together for a couple of years, but aren't, necessarily upperclassmen have really uh, done a good job. 10-point win, again, for Northern Iowa yesterday. or By yesterday, I mean Saturday, because I don't, I don't think this will go up until Tuesday. Um, held Northern Illinois to 0.86 points per possession. A really good defensive effort. Held them to 6 of 23, three-point shooting. So I think just a, another team to keep an eye on going forward. They get Bakersfield up next on... Wednesday, then I think a couple of easier ones before they visit, or sorry, before they play West Virginia on a neutral on Tuesday, November the 26th. Uh, that'll be in their uh, Feast Week tournament. I don't remember. What, I think it's the a Cancun challenge. I mean, it was wide open before the season, but I don't know if you can really say anybody's the prohibitive favorite with any sort of confidence. I mean, I would say that Northern Iowa's as good a bet as any, especially after you know, Missouri State in the, in the classic mid-major madness fashion, just getting hyped up all off-season and just immediately coming, just laying an egg. Them and yeah, UTSA. and then just like, falling flat. <laughs> very cool, guys. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, UTSA is doing the exact same thing they did last year where we hyped them up, they started 0-5. We hyped them up again, and now they're 0-4. I... I'm not going to check this. I'm pretty sure they are the only team that has played four games I mean, so far, and they have lost is, all isn't four. Isn't even a week old, like literally. That's not. That's that's yeah. yeah. That that can't be psychologically for a team with expectations. But um, like you said, they recovered from it last year in in some ways, right? So, but but like the the story of their season was like already shot by those first five games. Um, last year. At least, I mean, they went eleven and seven in conference, but at that point, when you've already lost so many games before conference season, like who cares? And a whole bunch of teams finished with winning records in conference. Like, congratulations! And they fall into the same trap. And then on Monday, a week from this coming Monday, they play at Utah State. They're not winning that game. They're probably not going to be a Division One team until November thirtieth when they host Prairie View. And that, by the way, is a Prairie View team that took UCF down to the wire on Saturday. 
And like last year, as I look back at their schedule, all of those losses, except for the first one, which uh, which was going to which is against a non D one, were all extremely understandable. This is Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, UC Irvine, and South Dakota State, and that's not the case this year. Like those are those are some concerning losses. Like I know you mentioned Delaware has impressed, uh, but if if you've got the expectations that they have with those with uh, with Keaton Wallace and Javon uh, Jackson um, and Oxelum, of course. Um, you got to beat SIU in Oakland as well, right? I mean, that's, I know it's neutral. I know it's kind of weird, um, to start the season in a tournament that fast, but yeah, that's not, that's not encouraging. So hopefully they bounce back. Cause as we talked about that, if things are running right, they're an extremely entertaining team. Yeah. Um, and, and I should mention, you know, I, I just said, I don't know what other team has played four games. Well, the other teams <laughs> at that event have played four Delaware. games now because that was a, a three game guarantee. So yeah, Delaware is four and zero. Granted, one of those games was against a non D one, uh, Bridgewater, Virginia, on opening night. But then they went into that event in Florida, beat Oakland, Southern Illinois, and UTSA. It's a team that some have picked to win the Colonial, which I I thought was ridiculous, um, especially considering you know just how bad they were, not bad but below average even a year ago. But, uh, you know, Martin, Martin Inglesby's got something here. Um, you know, Oakland, SIU, and UTSA, certainly not world beaters at all, but they won all three of them on neutral courts. You, you don't hear that from the Blue Hens. And, I mean, like an event like that is you can really kind of build some nice momentum just right out of the gate that can, you know, carry into, you know, December and those early parts of, of non-conference yeah. and see if you can really, you know, kind of, set yourself up to have a, a season that might exceed expectations. Yeah. And by the way, piece of trivia about Delaware that I learned recently, the only division one school whose mascot that they use for all sports is a female, the blue hen. Very interesting. The blue hen. Mm. There you go. Now is, is that the, not to take away from that very fascinating uh, piece of trivia. Oh, that thank really you. Thank you. Is that, is that the first, I, I feel like I've never heard of a tournament happening that fast into a season. Well, this wasn't a tournament. I don't think, I think it was just a three team event. Okay. I, th- I think that's what okay. it was and by three. Te- I mean, four like teams that, that everyone it... plays each other, like four team round Robin. Where was that at? Um, I'm pretty sure at least it was, it was in Florida. Um, in Kissimmee, remember that it was it was at the place where I t- I tweeted that photo of oh, how far right. the court was from the stands last week. Yeah, ah, uh, the great uh, the the uh, great Southwest. That's got to be so hard. That's honestly probably why UTSA was played so poorly. Is it's probably just like impossible to shoot in that gym. Well, the other teams have to shoot in that gym too, though. I know. I'm I'm not making yeah. excuses. I'm just trying to, you know, rationalize it because I'm looking at their their shooting numbers. It's just absolutely atrocious. <laughs> you always get your share of just atrocious basketball in the first week, and it uh, we we certainly got a good helping of it. Doesn't look like Oakland shot much better. Delaware, I mean, they didn't. They even didn't really go nuts, but. But alas. All right, Chris, we'll have you maybe talk about a couple of teams and then we'll get into other s- stuff too. 
but first, step aside for a quick break. We're back here on the Mid-Major Bandits podcast. Russ Steinberg along with Chris Schutte and Greg Mitchell. Chris, what impressed you from this first week of college basketball? The Furman. The Furman did play. The Furman did play. They picked up a couple of, of nice wins against a good uh, Gardner-Webb team that's um, expected to be one of the, the better teams in the Big South um, coming off an NCAA tournament appearance last year. And then just they absolutely dismantled Loyola Chicago the other night Beat him by 24. Um, Jordan Lyons had 24. Clay Mounts, 22. Um, they're already cracked into the top 100 in Ken Palm. Um, I think with the SOCON, we kind of, this offseason, have expected East Tennessee State to kind of be the, the heavy favorite. And for good reason. They're going to have a very talented team, and they're off to a 2 0 start. But I don't think Furman should be overlooked. They bring back a lot of guys that were on a a team last year that made a lot of noise um, both in the non-conference and um, conference portion of the season. Um, Jordan Lyons, obviously Noah Gurley, um, then Clay Mounts, Alex Hunter and Trey Clark are all guys that, you know, played a a huge role for them last year. And I I think that Bob Ritchie is quickly going to become one of those kind of young names that we mention a lot and, I, I think he's doing a, a really good job so far um, down there in his, his third year at, with the Furman. Are you willing to step out on a ledge and declare that they will beat Alabama on November 19th? I mean, Alabama's already <laughs> making a habit of losing to the neighbor. So. That's what I'm saying. This is, let's make this a thing. I would not be surprised if, if the Furman won that one. No. I mean, we, we got out ahead Edging. of uh, Penn's win over Alabama. Yeah. Furman, I think, is better than Penn. I would agree. Yeah, because didn't Penn, t- they turned around and... Penn just took a loss, yeah. Yeah, who did they lose to today? Or yesterday, they, lost, they got killed by Rice. Like Yeah, Rice beat them by 19, and that game was never close. I love just early season overreactions to the small sample. It's just the randomness of college basketball where the unexpected becomes the ordinary. Um, the other team that, uh, kind of sticking with the theme of teams that I'm not really worried about. Um, it's Harvard. I, I just, I have a hard time, you know, making any strong assumptions about them until Bryce Aiken and Seth Towns are back. Um, they obviously, they lost that game to Northeastern, although they did play them tough. And it was on the road, and then um, they struggled with Maine a little bit uh, on Sunday for the first half, but ultimately pulled away and ended up winning that by 20. Um, and they'll, they'll have games uh, coming up this week against Siena and Buffalo, which I think will be pretty good you know, barometer test to see just kind of where they're at as they – continue to you know kind of progress without uh towns and Aiken. have either of you heard anything about when either of them are supposed to be back no i think Aiken is still officially listed as day-to-day so i mean that can mean anything 
And then Towns is still rehabbing from his injury that, you know, that kept him out last year. So I don't know what the timetable is for him. I would assume that Aiken is back before Towns, um, but but I really don't know. And kind of the, the thing, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier today as Harvard was struggling with Maine, is that we know how good Harvard could be if all of its pieces are there. Um, end of the day, though, Aiken and Towns have now missed for the most part, over a year yeah, of basketball. Yeah, that's kind of been the story with that, like, recruiting class as a whole. They're just never yeah. healthy. Yeah, and, like, at, at some point, you just have to look at the team and go, okay, they are who they are. And you have to stop saying, well, when they're healthy, they're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And, because they haven't been healthy. And, you know, let's even best-case scenario, Aiken is back soon. Towns follows him shortly thereafter, they're not going to, you know, be playing 30 minutes a game right away. They're not going to be contributing at the level that you can expect them to when they're fully healthy because they haven't played in such a long time. And by the time they get back into it, you know, who who knows what Harvard situation as a team is going to look like. Um, and, and who knows if they could even stay healthy. So, you know, right now we have Harvard ranked in the top 15 in the other top 25. And that's certainly what their potential is. I mean, maybe even better than that. But can we say that's the kind of team that they are? I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, it, again, at some point, just you are what you are. Yeah. And I, I think they're in an interesting case because I think even without Aiken and Towns, I still think they're extremely good and they have a lot of talent on that that roster but like you said um you know without them you just kind of have to accept that they are what they are which is probably a good but not great basketball team yeah yeah probably uh one of the best two teams in the ivy league yeah anyway you know between them and penn maybe you know maybe yale is, is in the discussion too columbia almost knocked off wake forest today that's worth mentioning but yeah, I mean, they're still one of the best teams in the Ivy anyway, but I don't know if they're, you know, an elite yeah, mid-major. considerably uh, the lower. They like, they, yeah. they go from being a team that could conceivably win a game or two in the NCAA tournament, given the right matchup, to a team that, you know, wouldn't be surprising for them to win the Ivy League, but not the overwhelming favorite that they would be with those guys healthy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they did fight back in that Northeastern game because um, they uh, they were down by I think seventeen at halftime and and then today to kind of be in a in a in a back and forth ugly game that you should probably win and then uh, be able to kind of shrug all that off and still uh, win pretty comfortably. I mean, as you guys were saying, that shows that they're still like you can't write them off, um, especially because they do have a lot of uh, veterans on that team in addition to all the, 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 the good uh, recruiting class that, that they pulled in. Um, They're going to be one know, of those I, programs I that said. has guys that just feel like they've been there for like five or six years. I mean, Aiken and Towns yeah. already feel like they've Especially been there Especially if for they start like years. applying for like waivers and stuff, if it gets to like that type of situation. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I would assume that they would uh, grad transfer. Yes, guys of that caliber, yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all I have to say on Harvard. I still think they're good. Um, do you have an underrated player we could talk about? Um, well, if I can, I can double it as a whack minute. Then Ooh. I think, I think. Oh, yeah, let's do a yeah, whack minute. We haven't had one in a while. Players. So, all right, let's play the whack minute music. I don't know. Wait, hold on. <laughs> this is the whack minute music. <laughs> I love it. Um, Ferran Flavors, which is a fantastic name for for a yeah, California Baptist. Um, Ferran Flavors. Ferran. Ferran Flavors. Ferran Flavors. For Cal. He's off to a really good start. Scored 22 points in a win over uh, Jackson State and then had 17 under, uh, against a non-D1. Um, he's a transfer from Fairfield who had a really good first season at Fairfield um, and then transferred to to um, out west. And uh, the Lancers had a really good offense last year, and he's a he's appears to be a very good three-point shooter. And alongside a guy like a Milan Aqua, um, who may be the best offensive player in the WAC, um, I, I just think that's set up for a huge season. And I think it's going to be super interesting because I suspect that the talent uh, gap from what we've seen so far between New Mexico State and the rest of the year is probably larger than we've seen. Um, I know Grand Canyon. I know we could. We could. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, Kyle had that great piece on the site, and it they still have potential, even though they have a very thin rotation. As they get their uh, transfers back, to the extent they do, um, I think there'll be a challenge. But Utah Valley's down. And, you know, that's that's a rebuilding year. Seattle's gotten off to a a rough start. So even though they're not eligible, I think Cal Baptist very well could be potentially the second best team in the WAC. Um, and I think he's a big reason why. So it's, that's that's my underrated player. Ferran Flavors. Ferran Flavors. And because that's a fantastic, fantastic Ferran name. Flavors. <laughs> Doc Sellums. Um, I don't have an underrated player, but I will use this opportunity to shout out Dartmouth because we forgot to do it on the last podcast. Dartmouth 1-0. 68-63 winners over Buffalo on Friday night in their season opener. Congratulations to Dartmouth. Uh, let's see. Chris Knight, 18 points on a 9 of 19 shooting to go with 11 rebounds. Uh, three blocks, also uh, six turnovers, but that's okay. And Taurus Samuel, 16 points of his own. So congratulations to them. Dartmouth will play Monday night, so probably they will have played already by the time you're hearing this. They face Florida Gulf Coast at home. Uh, before getting Merrimack and Jacksonville on neutral courts. So best of luck to the Big Green going, the undefeated Dartmouth Big Green well, going Merrimack forward. mentioned in there. How have we not talked about talked about that yet? Yeah, Merrimack new to Division One. They uh, lost by 20 to Maine in their first <laughs> game and then went on the road and beat Chris Collins and Northwestern. 71-61 Friday night. What kind of like monkey's pod deal did Northwestern make to to make the tournament and have every big J journo like get really into Northwestern, right? All these puff pieces and then Ugh. he is he has quickly become <laughs> they're back to being the laughing stock of the Big Ten again, because they are not going to be very good again. It's so great to see yeah. because the big J journals were 
insufferable when Northwestern was in the NCAA tournament because, you know, half of them went there. I also went to Middle. Yeah, we all went to Middle. I did not go to Middle. Um, it, it was it was just awful. And then, you know, the next year, Northwestern, last season, 15 and 17, they lost their last six games in conference play and then lost to Penn State in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Uh, didn't actually have any god-awful losses last year, but this year, um, or sorry, in 2019, then just even worse, 13 and 19 overall, won one game after January the 22nd. Uh, January the 22nd is when they defeated Indiana. And then this year they start off with a loss to Merrimack. I mean, you, you love to see it. I do love to see it. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of funny because I, it's always interesting to look like every year and see like where like coach K's like coaching tree is at because he was like kind of like when he made the tournament, I think a lot of people like looked at him as like, oh, yep, he's going to be the next one in line when K finally hangs it up. And now he's just like completely like off the radar. <laughs> and like people are probably like wondering like, okay, what's it going to take to like, he's probably got an insane buyout at Northwestern. I mean, I'm sure he also bought himself a long time with the oh, yeah, tournament. Absolutely. I mean, they, I'm pretty sure they gave him a huge extension the day that, you know, that on that selection Sunday. Yeah. But- as they should have. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, but it's just kind of funny how quickly he, he, the fall from grace has been. More likely to replace Coach K, him or Tommy Amaker? I, I would say Amaker just because Collins, you know, the Duke's not going to hire a guy that's only been to the tournament once and has a whole bunch of losing seasons. Um thing about Amaker and it's why it won't be him either is because is that he's already failed at um at a power conference job see and like I say that as a joke but like that's a guy that I feel like and he's been now at Harvard for a very long time but that's a guy that I feel like as an athletic director I'd be intrigued by because as, as a hey he's learned some lessons he's had a lot of success at Harvard Let's, you know, roll the dice again and see if it's better. And I don't know at what level that would be it's possible, but I imagine he's yeah, still he's pretty young, that. too. Um, yeah. 54. You know, so it's, that's, it, yeah, that's, it's funny yeah. because whenever people talk about, oh, who's going to replace Coach K? It's, you know, you start listing off the coaching tree, right? <laughs> Probably not Quinn not Snyder. Quinn Snyder. <laughs> Well, I unironically like that's my that's my take. Brad, I mean, Brad Stevens or Billy Donovan. It could be Billy Donovan. Like, it's I. It's probably more likely that oh, Brad Stevens one. coaches yeah. Duke than Indiana. No, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if everyone always lists off the coaching tree, right? Like Chris Collins or Wojo or Bobby Hurley. Capel. Are we or. Well, again, Capel, another guy who's failed at a high major job, and now he has another one. Um, are we sure that it would be a Coach K guy, or is that just like the easy route to go? I mean, there's they've got the whole smarmy like brotherhood thing, though. I mean, correct me if that's wrong, more yeah. of a Coach K thing than it than it is a Duke thing, but yeah. I mean, they correct me if I'm wrong. They are a one 
one coach program, right? Like, there's no history. Duke had before Coach K, right? Well, it's Coach K has been history, there for 75 years. Um, but no, I mean, they, Duke was very good in the 50s yeah. and 60s as well. Um, I want to see. They had never won a championship until Coach K, uh, but they were runner-up in. Mm-hmm. 1964 and 1978. So they had had significant success, but of course, coach K, you know, made Duke what it is. All, all the listeners come here for the Duke talk. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's right. You know, wherever the conversation takes us, it's the hot button issue of the early stage of the college basketball season. Russ, you saw them at the champions classic. Are they, are they like national title good? Because I I know some people were like kind of skeptical just because they lost, just because of like how like different they're going to be compared to last year. Yeah, they're going to be a lot different. Um, they have enough to win a national championship. They don't have the star power that they once had, obviously. Um, but you know, I really did like uh, watching uh, Cassius Stanley play. Yeah. Um, he was he was a lot of fun. Vernon Carey. I think is going to be very good. Uh, well, that's, I mean, obviously. Uh, Trey Jones, it was so much fun to watch. Did you see the pass that he had the, to the Stanley outlet, for that? Yeah, like the full court. Yeah. yeah, that was sick. The full court bounce pass that like went through three uh, Kansas players. Uh, so like they, they've got they've got the pieces, but it's much more of a team with guys that have specific roles rather than just here, give the ball to Zion and he's going to go score for yeah. us. Are they are they in Maui this year? Um, let me see. No. Who's it? They are in. in, Duke is in. uh, I think the Empire Classic at the Garden. Let me see. Kansas, yeah, Kansas is in Maui. They start with Chaminade. This would be a good uh, segue into. uh... I was just going to say. Silver Sword Talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, the entry form will be open for the fifth annual Silver Sword. If you don't know what the Silver Sword is, I host it every year. Uh, by that, I mean this is the fifth year I'm doing it. It is simply a contest where you pick the winners of all of the November Feast Week tournaments. You can win prizes. The top three finishers will get something from 199.com site that has a whole bunch of fun um, vintage college sports apparel. Uh, it, I feel a little weird plugging them on this podcast for obvious <laughs> reasons, but Hey, they helped me out. So shout out 199. Um, if you would like to enter, we will have the entry form up on the site. It'll also tweet it out 400 times. So you can't miss it. Uh, be sure to enter. We had over 500 entries last year including some from some very notable uh, sports personalities, including one who has been in the news a lot over the last couple of weeks for some unfortunate reasons. Uh, Will Leach is a big fan of doing this. So shout out Will Leach. I think this year's my year. Yeah, This year's your year? <laughs> two, two years ago, I, I came in fourth. So like, which is honestly the highest I ever want to finish in this because I don't want to actually win something because... I yeah, host so you, it. 
and I fourth know how is, that would look. Fourth is a good spot. You can you can rig your results to make it look like you know what you're talking about, but not so that it's suspicious. Right. Well, I I didn't rig the results. I just did really well. And then last year I finished like in the lower 100. Yeah, I don't even remember. So it's it a is. crap. It really is, but it's fun. It's, you put put no thought into it and have fun watching the results. What what's the official has, hashtag? Is it five Ilver Sword? Yes, that's what it is. It's Silver Sword, but that first S is a five. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. For Chris Schutte and Greg Mitchell, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much and enjoy week two of the college basketball season.